Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My friend joining me from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, via Zoom, is Lincoln Bagley. Welcome to the podcast, Lincoln. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I'll give you a little introduction like I do with uh, my guest. Lincoln is a new return missionary with a very unique mission experience. He returned in May of 2021, but three years ago, he opened his call in May of 2018 to Peru. Um, And he served in Peru for four months, and then he came home for a year to work through um, repentance. And then he served for four months in Utah, went back to three to four months in Peru, and then COVID hit. And in April of 2020, he took one of those charter flights out of Peru He was home for 30 days, and then he spent his last roughly year of his mission in Denver, Colorado, North Mission, I believe. Yes, sir. And so I assume if we had um, Lincoln on the podcast the night he'd opened up his mission call, and then what happened over the three years is just unexplainable in some ways. And so as I've read some of Lincoln's Facebook posts and some of his story, and as we visited beforehand, Lincoln is a really unique and wonderful man. And he's going to talk to those of you that come home early from your mission for any reason, because he has great empathy and great understanding. And if you feel no one's ever had the experience that you're having, or you want better tools to minister to someone who's come home for a belated confession, probably that happened before he left, you know, Lincoln, without getting into a lot of the details, probably has some insights for you. Lincoln, um, leaving Peru, felt his path was not to stay in the church, um, but he's going to talk about how he worked through that during this year and found in place, found himself in a situation where he had enough of a testimony to return to the mission field. So this podcast will be helpful for some of you that have had to deconstruct and reconstruct um, and figure out if there's a place for you in the church or if you have a sustainable testimony to stay in the church and even to then go out and serve a mission and help others come unto Christ through our church. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Lincoln? Yeah, that's that's great. So appreciate it. Thank you. We said a prayer beforehand, and we just hope that um, the things that Lincoln share will be helpful for you, our listeners, um, and connect you with the gospel of Jesus Christ and just connect you with the things Lincoln did pragmatically and practically and spiritually to navigate really complicated stuff. So let's go back to May of 2018, Lincoln. You're, I think you're 18. You've just got graduated from high school in Idaho, Rigby, Idaho, I think is where you grew up. Yes, sir. I think probably maybe go back a few years. I, I think I'd want to talk about high school just a little bit. Do, please and do. I don't, want, I don't want anyone to think that I was like a super rebellious teenager, super rebellious youth. I don't want anyone to think I was a super, I was an angel as a teenager either. I was just a normal kid trying to make it work, trying to figure out what was right and wrong, struggling with temptation, you know, struggling with, um, you know, getting along with my parents, getting along with my friends, you know, struggling with trying to fit in and also stand out and um, to be popular to, you know, I was just, I was just hundred percent normal. And the reason I share that is because I think, when I was struggling with these things in high school, I thought I'm the only one, I'm the only one. That's kind of what made me, you know, fast forward a year to a year and a half, you know, lie about things to my bishop and stake president and mission president because I thought I was the only one, right? So I just want to emphasize that I, I was, looking back, I was just normal. And 
Um, anyway, so May 6, 2018, I opened my mission call, um, Peru Trujillo North. Um, and I didn't, I didn't leave until August 7th. So there's about a three month window between when I opened my call and when I left. And I, I had a really hard time adjusting from high school. I was really sad to finish high school and I just kind of had an emotional, I was kind of an emotional wreck and I didn't have the best of coping mechanisms and led me to make some, made some poor decisions in, in that, in that three months period. You know, I had made poor decisions in high school and I had, you know, repented for some of those, worked through some things, um, but kind of the, it really came to a head in that three month period uh, before I left. Um, so it's the August 7th, I went to the Lima, Peru MTC and um, you know, that was an experience. I think the first time you go on a mission, you just, your, your ignorance is bliss. You don't quite know what you're getting into. So I just remember being excited and I was nervous, but I, the excitement overtook the nervousness. And I'm, I'm not sure if they do this on purpose in the MTC. Um, I'm curious to what your thoughts on this would be actually, but I feel like in the MTC, sometimes they, I don't want to say they make you feel guilty, but they may, maybe they encourage repentance um, a little more than they would in a normal sacrament meeting. So there was one night after a devotional where I was feeling kind of like, you know, I'm not worthy to be here, which is a common experience among missionaries in the MTC, you know, worthy or unworthy. I remember having that thought like, you know, I'm not worthy to be here. So I just kneeled down and up to that point, that was, this was the most spiritual experience of my life. You know, I, the answer I received at that time, I felt was, you know, you know, work hard and be clean, you know, keep moving forward. And I think in the back of my mind, I knew I didn't quite check every box, but that experience kind of got me through. And I, when I look back at the bigger picture, I think that was what was needed, you know? Um, so I had that experience and I really enjoyed the MTC. Had had some great friends, you know, I, I consider them life, lifetime friends. And I, I make it to Peru September 18th, uh, 2018. And, um, first, I mean, I, it was not, I, I worked hard with my companion. My companion was a really hard worker. And I was just following along. I think that's, that's what kept me going. Even on the back of my mind, I could feel that guilt coming in and I was just following my companion and we were busy. And that's what kept me going. And I really enjoyed it. I felt fulfilled those first couple of months in the, in the, in Trujillo. Um, it was hard work, but I definitely felt fulfilled, but there was one day November, it was November 13th, 2018. And I, I consider this a before and after moment of not just my mission, but of my life. And that sounds a little dramatic, but I, I kind of figure that, you know, those who knew me before didn't know me after, and those who knew me after didn't know me before. And there was, there was five things that happened on this day that kind of, you know, something, something broke, you know, that day. And it's never quite been, it's never quite been fixed or it's never quite been the same. Um, I'll go into those five things real quick. But we were walking down the street, and uh, I don't want to get too graphic, but this lady had fallen off the back of a motorcycle and got hit by a truck, and it was right next to us. And I saw that happen, and my first thought was, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die in my sins. And that's a scary thought for an 18-year-old kid to have and because you're you know, 4,000 miles away from home. No one should ever have that thought, and I, I pray that no youth you know, ever thinks that it's you know, they're going to die in their sins. They're going to go to hell. That's, that's not doctrine, but I had that thought and it kind of shook me, you know, and I, I, you know, not super important, but I went and covered the body and we got out of there, but it's kind of, we went back to the apartment and I just kind of decompressed. And I, uh, I was reading true to the faith 
for my study about repentance. And I guess, depending on the way you look at it, the true to faith, true to the faith definition of repentance is either very detailed or very scary. It's, I read it and I thought it kind of hit me. It's like, oh my gosh, I haven't checked all the boxes, you know, I haven't been forgiven all the way. And so then that, that, these things start going in circles in my head. You know, number one, I'm going to die in sins. Number two, I haven't repented all the way. And then the third thing that happened is we had a family that cooked us all our meals. We went to that family for lunch and they had gotten in a, in a fight and it had nothing to do with missionaries. Nothing. It was just, they had some marital problems, but they were like my mom and dad in the mission. And I just kind of blamed myself. I kind of thought to myself, I'm bringing this bad spirit into their home and they're fighting. And I just blame myself. And, you know, the fourth thing that happened is we had a family we were teaching and they just told us, they said, Hey, we don't want to be baptized. And, you know, the thought that came to me was immediately was they don't want to be baptized because I'm not worthy. And, and then the fifth thing is we were walking back home that night. My companion said, I, he didn't mean this in any bad way, but he said, I don't, this is the most stressed I've ever been in my whole mission. And I just remember thinking it's my fault because he's carrying twice the spiritual burden because I can't carry it, you know? And when I look back with a healthy perspective, you know, none of those things, they were just bad circumstances all in the same day. But my mindset at the time was, this is my fault because I'm not worthy. And that happened on a Tuesday and these thoughts are going in circles. You know, I'm not worthy. I'm going to die in my sins. You know, I'm going to get sent home. I can't confess. You know, these things are just going in circles. And I, uh, I was on a Tuesday. So I just thought to myself, if I can just make it till Monday, um, I can just make it till preparation day. I'll be okay. So Tuesday sucked. Wednesday sucked. Thursday sucked. Friday sucked. Saturday sucked. Sunday sucked. When I say it sucked, I mean, it was just dark. When I look back at my memories of that week, it was just dark. And finally Monday came and I just prayed that Monday would be okay. And everything would just reset and just get back on our, you know, we'll get back on our horse. But Monday was really sad for me. And I remember thinking, this is supposed to be a happy day and I can't, I'm not happy. So the next day uh, we were walking with my companion. I told my companion, I said, Hey, we got to go back to the apartment. So I went back to the apartment and I grabbed the phone and I just said, Hey, I just texted president. I said, Hey president, I have some concerns I need to resolve. He said, okay, I'll meet with you on Friday. So this is on Tuesday. So, you know, Tuesday sucked, Wednesday sucked, Thursday sucked, but Friday it was, it was like sunshine again. I woke up, you know, put my suit on and I felt like I didn't care what happened. I was just ready to be clean. I was ready to move past this. And I thought, this is my opportunity to say this today. And I, the talk that came to my mind was the dawn of forgiveness, the morning of repentance. Maybe it's that I got that backwards, but that's how I felt that morning. You know, today is the morning of, of repentance. And I was so hopeful. And um, when I look back, I look at that, that kid, that 18-year-old kid, and I was so full of hope that morning. Um, and I went and talked to my mission president and now I'm going to take a little break from the story. I, I've had great priesthood leaders, you know, my whole life growing up, but this was a really hard experience. I felt I, I was eventually sent home a couple of days later. I deserve to be sent home. You know, you break the rules. There's consequences. I acknowledge that I deserve to be sent home, but I did not deserve to be treated the way I was treated that day. Um, I, I'll say one more thing. It was the most faith damaging experience in my life. And 
you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. If you want to ask any more questions, you can, um, but I'll leave it at that. When I left his office a few days later, um, after a couple more meetings, I left the church. I was done. And on the flight home, I was, I was done. I remember thinking, um, you know, the church is, the church is still true. I'm just not good enough for it. You know, like I'm, I'm done. And, uh, so I, I came home early, November 27th, 2018. I made it home. And I know a lot of people talk about how missionaries get judged. And in my experience, I'm sure that people said some things at some point or another, but I felt really supported by my family and my community. And my parents were just kind of like, you know, whatever you went through must have been how we're just happy as long as you're doing something and moving forward. You know, if you go back on the mission grade, if you don't, great. I felt really supported by my board and my community and my family. So I'll, I'll put that out there. Um, but even with that support, I still, it was, I was embarrassed. It was shame. I felt guilty, you know? Anyway, I, uh, I was sad. But a couple of days after I got home, I moved to Utah. And my grandparents own a travel agency in Bountiful. So I went to work for them. And I, I say work in quotation marks because really the work meant them helping their troubled grandson out with a couple of things. And um, they, they basically put me on these trips. And I got to go all over the world for about five months. And um, I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, I got to see some beautiful places, but I was really sad on the inside. I'll just share a quick story. Um, I, I was in Fiji with a group of people, and this is part of the job. And we were on this tour bus, and the tour bus had to stop. So I got out of the bus, and I was standing on the side of the road. And I could look over, and I could see the jungle, and I could see the ocean. It was just like this beautiful like beautiful view of Fiji and of the ocean. And I just remember like, I remember acknowledging how beautiful it was, but I remember feeling, I remember thinking that I couldn't feel its beauty because I was so sad inside. And you know, I could see its beauty, but I couldn't feel its beauty because I was so sad. I think, you know, these five and a half months that I was traveling all over the world, I saw some beautiful places. It was really hard for me to feel the beautiful places. I was so sad. I think this was a time of grieving. Um, but I'll share one qu more quick story. I was in Tahiti and I was with a guy who just got called to be a mission president. He was on this trip with us and we were cruising around this island and I was telling him the story, you know, up to this point of, you know, how I felt confessing. And I, I didn't hold anything back. I kind of gave him, you know, sometimes when I tell a story, I give the PG version, but for him, I gave the rated R version because I was mad. You know, I wanted him to know how mad. I, I remember giving him the hard version of the story because I, I didn't want him to treat any missionary that he had like the way I was treated. I remember thinking like, there's going to be some 18 year old kid confessing this kid in like, six months or a year. And I hope he doesn't feel like I do. But he, um, he kept pressing me. He said, who was your mission president? Which mission were you in? And I didn't tell him specifically. I didn't want anyone to get in trouble. But um, a couple of weeks later, he must have figured it out somehow because I was driving at this point, I hadn't gone to church in four months. I was pretty much done, but I was driving to a jazz game. I was on a date and I got a call from um, the church. It said church Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I thought it was just the missionaries. I got a call and was one of the, one of the apostles called me and offered, he didn't necessarily apologize, but he empathized with my situation and said it could have been handled better. So I'm pretty sure that's the connection there of how he got wind of the story. But I, 
you know, I didn't just immediately come back to church after hearing a conversation with the apostle, but I, I, I will say I'm grateful for that, that, that connection was made and that apostle reached out. And I, uh, it's kind of funny. My, I hung up the phone and my date was like, who was that? I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> but, um, so I left Utah in about in April and I moved to Jackson, Wyoming, um, got a new job up here. That's where I'm at now. And, uh, so it's April, 2019. Um, I'm still at, and let me back up a little bit. While I was in Utah, I kind of had come across or started researching some parts about church history that aren't so flattering. I, for lack of a better term, I'll call them anti-Mormon material, but I, I don't like that term. So I don't consider it that, but I'll just say it wasn't super faith promoting. And, um, I think under normal circumstances, I can handle, I could handle the, the not so flattering parts of church history, but ugly parts of church history combined with shame and guilt and embarrassment. Uh, it's pretty much a recipe for me to, you know, be done with the church. So I, I, I moved on from being the church is the church is still true. I'm just not good enough for it to, I don't believe the church is true anymore. And I was, I was done. Um, so I, I was done with the church. Um, I moved to Jackson and I had some roommates and I had about eight roommates and six of them were returned missionaries and two of them had served in Peru. And I didn't really tell them my story because I didn't want to feel like a project or feel like the messed up kid. I just kind of let things go, but they were these roommates that I had were just good examples to me. And they were, you know, they didn't try to fix me. They didn't necessarily try to, you know, love bomb me. They just were good examples of how they lived their lives. They became, they went from roommates to, you know, coworkers to best friends. And, you know, I'm grateful for them. And I, I hope I'm going to send this to them. I hope they listen to it. And I want them to know that how grateful I am for those roommates in the summer of 2019 that really just were good examples to me. Um, but even with these great roommates and great examples, I still, I was done with the church. Um, but one day, so this is in July. One day um, I was, I was working at the hotel. It was a Sunday. A girl came in who was a member of the church. We started talking about church things. And she just said, she's like, are you going to come to church today? And I was like, you know, this is a cute young single adult. And I was like, of course I'm going to church. What are you talking about? And I ended up going to church that day. And I think I, I didn't go just for that girl, but I think that was a straw that broke the camel's back. I had this great example of roommates for a couple of months. And I said, you know what, maybe I can give this another go. And I think I started getting back into the habit of things. And the day that I went back to church, that same apostle who had called me four months previous was at church that day. And I don't think he remembered our conversation, but we did have a little talk and it was kind of, it's kind of full circle. You know, the day I, come back to church he he would be he would be there um so so i start getting back in the habit of things i think when i was in utah it was a period of grieving when i came to to jackson it was a period of healing it was time to heal and there's really no better place to heal than the grand tetons and spending time in the mountains um so i was i was healing and i had these great roommates and I decided to get back in the habit of going to church, mostly at the beginning for social reasons, but I, I started to feel, you know, that it's like going back home, you know, it's like, you know, this, this was my home, but my beliefs were still compromised. You know, I didn't make any, I was less antagonistic. I had less bitterness towards the church, but I was still, you know, I didn't know where my beliefs stood. 
But one day I decided like, you know what? I have a desire to make it work. And I feel like the only way to really know is to go all in. And so I thought the best way to go all in was to go back on a mission. So I made a deal with myself. I said, all right, if I'm worthy, number one, and I'm happy, number two, I'll go, I'll go back on a mission. And, uh, you know, probably about a month or two later, I just remember thinking one night, like, you know, oh, shoot, you know, I'm worthy and I'm happy. So I kind of got the process initiated again to go back on a mission, you know, talk to the branch president up here and talk to my home state president, kind of got the ball rolling again. Now I want to take a little pause in the story again. You know, that sounds like things are looking up for me, but when I made that decision to go back on a mission immediately, my first thought was, I don't want to feel the way I felt in Peru the first time. I don't want to feel that darkness again. So I remember thinking like, okay, I got to be not just worthy. I got to be hyper worthy. And the way to be hyper worthy is in my kind of not so healthy mindset was I got to confess everything. So I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I was, I started confessing things that didn't necessarily need to be confessed to my branch president, to my stake president. And to my, I confessed to my home bishop, my old bishop. I was confessing to like five different priesthood leaders at this time. And I, I didn't know, you know, kind of spoiler alert, I figured out a couple months later, this is kind of OCD, scrupulosity, but I didn't know what it was, but I was so scared that I'd feel that guilt and darkness again, that I just, I went hyper mode and I would confess details that I just forgotten to confess. I wasn't doing anything. I was just rehashing these details. And like one night I, I kissed a girl, just like a simple peck. I remember just feeling so guilty that I called up like three priesthood leaders and I said, Hey, I'm so sorry. I know it's two in the morning, but I just have to tell you this. I mean, I was, I was not in a good place, but I felt like this is what I needed to do. And I thought, I thought it was the right thing, but so this about October ish, it's the weekend of general conference. I I'm working. I'm back in Idaho for a couple of weeks working potato harvest. And at this point, I'm not sure if I'm going to receive permission to go back on a mission or not. I'm kind of in limbo. And I, I got the ball rolling. And at this point, I'm just kind of waiting for news. And from what I understood, it was about a 50-50 shot. I'd be able to go back out. Um, but one day, I'm working potato harvest. And my state president calls me and says, hey, you've been reassigned to wait for your visa in the Salt Lake City South mission. You're leaving next week. And I thought he was joking because I'm from Rigby, Idaho, you know, it's only three hours to Salt Lake. I was like, are you sure that's where I'm going? Um, but then I was kind of waiting for him to say, just kidding, you're going back to Peru. But he said, do you want to fly or drive? And I kind of, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a missionary in Utah. And initially I was bummed, but I, well, I'll get to that later. But that week when I found out I was going back on the mission to when I actually left was it was like this darkness came back over me and I was scared that I didn't confess things and I was nervous that I wasn't worthy. And at this point I had, my dad had been called as my home ward bishop and I didn't confess things to him because he's my dad and I don't you know. That's not a relationship that I felt comfortable in that, you know, doing that. But I was so desperate to be forgiven that one day I called him and said, Hey, can you come out to the farm, please? Like, and he came out to the farm and hopped in the, the truck and, me 30 minutes but i finally rehashed all these sins that i hadn't necessarily committed again but i just needed to feel forgiveness and at that point he kind of said there's something wrong with you like you have an injury there's something not there's not something wrong with your choices and your decisions but you have an injury that needs to be fixed 
I, I didn't necessarily know what he meant because I was leaving in two days. So, um, you know, we didn't really have time. So I, I kind of went back out to, I left on the mission and I went to Salt Lake City South. And I remember I landed in Utah and I got picked up by a senior couple missionary and we're driving down the freeway till we get to Sandy. And for about 20 minutes, I felt like this is where I was supposed to be, you know. And then after 20 minutes, that darkness kind of came back. And I was, it was scary. And I got there on Tuesday and I made it till Sunday. I remember Sunday in between sacrament meetings, I remember thinking, wow, I only made it five days. I'm going to go home early. But my companion and I were looking at articles in Gospel Library. We came across in the Young Adults Weekly section in Gospel Library an article about religious OCD and scrupulosity. And it was like someone opened the shutters to a window or opened the blinds. And it was like, that's when it hit me. That I was reading this guy's story about this guy who served a mission in Mexico. And, and he ended up hurting his knee. And when he hurt his knee, he was grateful because he got to go home because he'd been living in this kind of religious OCD scrupulosity circle. And I remember reading his story. And I remember thinking, wow, I could have written this story. Like, this is my story, you know? And at that point, it kind of made sense to me. It was like, again, it was that, that realization that it wasn't, it wasn't something wrong with my decisions. There was injury to me, right? And I, I needed to get a doctor. I needed to get medicine. And there's, you know, just like you break a leg, you get help. You know, there was something wrong with me. I needed to get help. And initially I was stubborn, but I had a great companion who kicked me in the butt and kind of, I think he signed me up for some counseling at the family services center in Sandy without me knowing. And he kind of took me there without me knowing. I went kicking and screaming, but after the first couple of times, I couldn't wait to go back. I think like, I, I was really confused on why I had to work. Cause I initially, they thought I'd just wait for my visa for three weeks and ended up being there for four months. And I, I was initially, I, I, I kind of think back, why was I in Utah for so long? And you know, there was families that I met and there was companions that I had and there was people that I taught. But I think the real reason is I needed to get help and the best place to get help is in the Salt Lake City South Mission. You know, the resources they have. I think that's, that's the reason I was there. And um, anyway, I got help and I was there in Utah for four-ish months. And when I look back on the places I was, the happiest time of my mission was when I was in Utah. You know, the closest thing I'll ever be to being a celebrity is being a missionary in Utah. And I, you know, I, people pay for your food and groceries and people smile at you. And every crosswalk feels like a parade. I, and I just loved serving in Utah. And I, some people bash on those Utah missions, but I loved being a missionary in Utah. And I, on January 26, 2020, they called me and said, hey, you're going back to Peru tomorrow. And I just, like, I was so sad. We were sitting at dinner. I couldn't even concentrate on the family we were with because I was so sad I was leaving. But I served in South Jordan, mostly in the Daybreak area, a little bit in Harriman. But I, I loved it. And uh, I loved it. I think it was the... I think I had a distrust for priesthood leadership. And I think... The mission president helped me regain that trust in priesthood leadership. And he just got called to be a general authority, President Tripp Meredith. I guess he's Elder Meredith now. He was the mission president there and he was an angel. And I had, you know, four companions while I was there and they were all angels. Um, some of my best friends. So I loved Utah.
but I went back to Peru. So I hadn't been in Peru for 14 months at this point, you know, a year plus a couple months I was in Utah. And um, it was hard to see the sights and sounds. I went back to the same area that I was in the first time. And um, that was tough to walk the same streets and go to the same chapel. And it was tough. And physically, my body hurt. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit because I forgot a piece of the story. When I was in Utah, I saw I was still struggling with my beliefs. I didn't really know what I believed or what I knew. But I saw Wendy Nelson made a Facebook post. It was a 30-day Book of Mormon challenge. It said, if you pray and offer gratitude for the Book of Mormon, then read the Book of Mormon and pray and offer gratitude for the Book of Mormon again, you'll receive your answer. And I said, okay, deal. Like, I'm putting the test right now. Remember, I screenshotted it and I said, this is what I'm doing. So I started that in Utah and I finished it in Peru. And so my beliefs are still compromised, but I kind of have this hope that this is going to be my, my answer. And after the 30 days, I went on to the rooftop of our apartment underneath the stars and offered a prayer, you know, out loud. And um, I thought, you know, when you're a missionary, you have those, you read those scriptures, you know, with faith to move mountains or, and you take those scriptures literally. And I thought that if I prayed and had enough faith, I would like to see Jesus and that would be my answer. And, you know, if you've never been on a mission or on a missionary, you're kind of like, okay, this guy's crazy. I think missionaries will understand that mindset. And I really thought I was going to see Jesus. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I was kneeling there and behind my eyelids, like a light showed up. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to see Jesus. I remember I didn't open my eyes right away because I wanted to know exactly what I was going to say. Um, when I saw Jesus and I opened my eyes and it was just my companion with the flashlight asking me when I was going to come down to bed. I remember it just was such a letdown. I was so heartbroken. Um, but the next day I remember I woke up and it just felt like it wasn't real. That's how heartbroken I was. That last night wasn't real, but I woke up the next day and I read the book of Mormon and I had a, just a small, gentle feeling like, that came over my whole body. I just remember thinking, if that's it, that's enough. You know, I can sustain myself on that for the time being. And, you know, I don't necessarily take that feeling. And I say, I know the Book of Mormon is true, but I know, I really firmly believe that that feeling and the Book of Mormon are correlated. And I, I believe the Book of Mormon to be scripture, you know, from that point and be inspirational. I don't think I'll ever forget that feeling. You know, regardless of how, if my beliefs change or, you know, if my beliefs grow and adapt, that feeling, there's a few things that I know. I know I had that feeling, you know. And but I still struggle with a lot of different doubts and questions. And I would still consider myself not quite a literal believer. I, I was just struggling with things. I remember a couple of weeks later, it all came to a head. And I was walking back to my apartment. I just remember thinking, like, I don't believe this anymore. I don't believe this is true. I'm talking about the church at this point. It's kind of a paradox. I just had that experience with Book of Mormon, but that didn't solve my problems. I didn't think I don't believe this anymore. But I still feel like I had a relationship with Jesus and Heavenly Father. So I remember I, I was kind of in a bad situation. I was like, this is a horrible place to have a faith crisis, 4,000 miles away from home. I stopped believing in the organization that's providing me with food and a companion and a purpose and money. And I think it was a horrible situation. So I, I prayed to Heavenly Father and I said, Heavenly Father, like, I don't necessarily know if this is true or not. What should I do? And I feel like the answer that I feel like I received was, you know, it was two answers. It was 
be the best, use this opportunity to be the best person you can be and be, be very precise with your testimony. And I just remember thinking like, deal, like I'll, I'll do that. And I think from at that point, I went from being like a very exact, obedient numbers kind of, you know, let's have success. Let's go, go, go. And from that moment, I decided, you know, I'm going to slow things down. I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to help the community that I'm in. I'm going to support the ward. And that was a turning point in my mission. I just said, you know what? I'm going to be the best person I can be. I'm not going to be the best salesperson I can be. I'm going to be the best person I can be. And, you know, that was a turning point, not just in Peru, but in my mission. And, you know, COVID hit a couple of weeks later. We were in quarantine for 21 days in our apartment and uh, ended up being sent home. But I think those two experiences were why I went back to Peru. I think I needed that experience with Book of Mormon. And I think I needed that experience with, you know, to help me follow telling me to be the best person I could be. And I think there's a couple other, I think that family that, that didn't get baptized, and I blame myself. I went back to that family and I just remember, I just said, hey, you know, do you guys remember me? And they did, they invited us in. And I kind of said, do you guys want to be baptized now? And they still said no. But I remember thinking like, I came back worthy, you know, and it, it, was, the, it was their agency, you know, and, I've never been so happy about someone not getting baptized, but I just remember thinking like, it's not my fault anymore. And that was, came full circle. And the Bishop of the ward that I was in, he didn't know I came back. And I, I, I saw him at a church activity one night. It's like the first couple of days there. And he said, he said, Spanish, he said, complete state to palabra. You know, you fulfilled your word coming back. I can't remember ever telling him I was going to come back, but that meant a lot to me. Wow. So I, anyway, COVID hit, I went home. And so now I'm in this place where I kind of had differing answers and I still, my beliefs are still kind of compromised, but I have this decision to make whether I want to go back on the mission or just kind of move on with life. And I felt like I'd already kind of been through hell trying to get back on the mission the first or the second time. You know, I, my kind of attitude was, haven't I done enough? You know, I've kind of done enough. My MTC group, they were done. They'd finished their missions. My friends from high school, they were done. They'd finished their missions. And life was good. And I was at home. I, I remember thinking like, I just want to know where I get reassigned. Right. I remember thinking that. So I thought, okay, I'll tell them I'm going to get reassigned. If it's cool, I'll go back. If it's not, I'm moving on. So I think that last week of April, I got a job down in Texas and uh, me and my buddy were driving down to Texas and going from Idaho to Texas. And we're in, you know, we're close to Fort Collins, Colorado. And I get a call from my state president and he says, um, hey, you just got reassigned to the Colorado Denver North mission. You're leaving next week. And I was like, I'm in Colorado. And I, I hadn't made the decision yet. I'm thinking, I'm already here. So I tried to stop by the mission office. The mission president didn't want to talk to me, but I was kind of frustrated with that. But as I was driving down the street, trying to get back on the freeway, we just happened to see two elders walking down the street. And I stopped and I said, hey, elders, like, I might come to this mission next week. Like, what do you guys think? And, uh, you know, they said, it's the best mission in the world. And it's kind of like, that's what the last three missions said. But I, okay, whatever you say. And that didn't necessarily make or break my decision right then, but I ended up finishing the drive down to Texas, had a change of heart, flew home, and flew to Colorado. But, you know, I don't think if I hadn't seen those missionaries on the side of the street, I definitely would not have gone to Colorado. So I 
they were angels, you know, other cook and other Bentley. So they were angels. Anyway, so May 6th, the two year anniversary of when I opened my mission call, I fly to Colorado and I go to Denver. Um, and at this point, we kind of figured we were in the middle of COVID and in reality, we we're just at the very beginning. And, but I had this attitude of, I'm going to be the very best person I can be. And you can only be a missionary once. And there's things you can do as a missionary that you can't do in any other setting in life. So I changed my perspective in Colorado. And instead of, you know, trying to, you know, work my butt off to talk to 25 people a day on the street or something, I just said, my goal was I'm going to support the ward, I'm going to support the community, I'm going to support the members, I'm going to listen to people and listen to my companion. And I took things slow. I had a ton of fun. And it was a turning point in my mission. I think, you know, I tried for a minimum of 20 hours of service a week. Sometimes we made it, sometimes we didn't. But it's amazing if you just go look. You know, we volunteered at thrift stores and at food kitchens and I served in I served in Boulder for a little bit, and I served in downtown Denver. And when I was in downtown Denver, we were doing service at the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church and the, the all different kinds of churches and the thrift stores. And I loved it. And there was a couple of wards downtown that I was serving in that were kind of struggling wards. And I just love supporting the ward. I love teaching primary when they ask us to teach primary. And I love teaching elder school when they ask us to teach elder school. I love helping people move in and out and. I love not having to wear proselyting clothes, wear service clothes, and to move a piano. And I really feel like I came to myself. And I really feel like I, even though I'm, I don't think I was the missionary that the mission president necessarily wanted or expected, I think I was a missionary that the ward members and community members needed. And maybe that's just me bragging or uh, justifying me not being super the way I should have been, but I loved it. And um, I finished in a little tiny town called Fort Lupton, Colorado. Southern Weld County. And I feel like the theme in Colorado is, you know, I, I, I taught a decent amount of people, not a ton. I baptized a few people, not a ton. Um, my, my success was relatively small compared to, you know, Peru and, and Utah. But I feel like I connected well with a lot of members that felt marginalized by their beliefs. Maybe they didn't necessarily believe but they're still coming to church because of their spouse. Or maybe they had left the church and their family was still in it. Or maybe, you know, they completely abandoned God. Or maybe they felt like the church had abandoned them. And, you know, people leave the church for a variety of reasons. But one thing that is similar in all of them, they, they kind of feel marginalized. I felt like and I was grateful that I felt like I could reach out to these people and connect and relate. And um, I, I'm grateful for that. And I had some amazing deep and lovely and interesting conversations with many members in Colorado. And I had to constantly remind my companion that, Hey, I still do believe I still have a testimony. It's a little different, but you know, if you don't understand why people leave the church. You can always just ask them, you know, and I don't want to sit here and say, I help people. I help bring people back to the fold or I help people bring, I brought back people to church. I don't claim any of those. But I made relationships and connections that I felt like was Christ-centered, regardless of where people stood in their beliefs. And in the midst of all this, I'm still having a faith crisis. And I think, you know, one day, being that I had that answer, being precise with my testimony, 
I said, I don't know what to believe about Joseph Smith. You know, I hear these good things. I hear these bad things. I, I read these good things. I read these bad things. You know, some people in the church, people make him look like a hero. People outside the church make him look like a villain. I said, what is he? He can't be one or the other. Or is he both? Or So I remember I prayed about Joseph Smith. And I, the answer for me that I got that night was like, go look, read the Bible dictionary. And the last line of the Bible dictionary definition of prophet is um prophet it says in a general sense anyone who's a prophet who testifies to jesus christ through the power of the holy ghost and i thought i don't want i don't say that to minimize joseph smith or but i thought i can make that work you know i can start there and i can i can move forward with that you know so i can say i believe joseph smith to be a prophet you know there might be a little asterisk but i can start there and things will change things will adapt things will grow um but i was grateful for that experience and Similar things happen with the Book of Mormon. You know? I feel like it's the Word of God, and uh, you know, I I was right at the end of the mission. I remember it was May tenth, and I finished May twentieth, so I had about ten days left. I was taking a shower. I remember thinking, I have ten days left. I don't think I can make it. Uh, it. It was still hard at the very end, but that night that my family picked me up, they picked me up, and I was so happy to see him. But we went to a hotel, and I laid in bed. And I remember thinking. All I want is just to go back to my little tiny rinky-dink apartment in Fort Lupton, Colorado, and just be a missionary still. And you know, I've been home for a couple months now, but I love being a missionary. I wasn't the picture-perfect model missionary, but I loved the things I could do as a missionary. I loved talking to people and being with people and having that Christ-centered relationships. And I, I didn't realize how sad I'd be coming home, but uh, maybe that's a different, different story. So, but thank you for letting me share that. I really appreciate it. You've brought me to tears a few times during that story, Lincoln. I hope you realize how gifted you are communicating your story. And have, I, our listeners can't see Lincoln, but he doesn't have any paper in front of him. He doesn't have any script. He just did that straight from his mind, all those dates, all those stories, all those phrases, all those insights was just on the fly. I think it's one of your gifts is the gift of communication, Lincoln. Um, it's hard for me to add to this. Um, this story just stands on its own. I'm worried that if I say anything, it sort of detracts from what you said, but I do have some thoughts. I love, I love um, that you recognize you had a difficult experience with a priesthood leader. And that you still have managed a way to navigate that. And I think at times, and I may have caused pain in people's lives as a priesthood leader, that just happens. And when we know better, we do better. And so these kind of stories help us do better. And I love that you somehow navigated that. But I also love you recognizing your gut that wasn't right. And I think for me, I can be a faithful Latter-day Saint, support and sustain our church, and acknowledge the pain that some members feel in individual circumstances. And so I just sit with people like Lincoln in a difficult experience and just sit with them in the pain like it sounds like that future mission president did with you in Tahiti or Fiji and just sat with you in the difficulty of that situation. I love your father inside. I love you had the courage to talk to your father. And before we went live, Lincoln talked about his love for his parents and his family. And you mentioned that on the podcast that when you came home, they were just great. And your word family was just great. But I, I love your dad's intuition. I don't know if he has any 
um, clinical therapeutic background, but he recognized an injury that needs to be fixed. What a great insight. Um, he, he didn't maybe have the vocabulary to diagnose you with scrupulosity, but he had enough intuition that what was going on with you was not a repentance issue and it wasn't a spiritual issue. It was a mental health issue. And then you recognize that as you learn more about scrupulosity in Sandy. We've done a lot of podcasts about scrupulosity um, listeners. It's spiritual OCD. Lincoln has walked that road firsthand and described that in brutal terms. Um, we have a son that has, you know, that's the reason we connect with scrupulosity so much because our own missionary age son, your age, is in the same world and just kept reconfessing and confessing. And we just as parents recognize there's a missing piece of the puzzle here. We have never seen what's going on with our son. And it wasn't until a therapist got involved that then that missing piece was found, just like it was for you. And then everything fit together and you got the clinical help you needed. So um, I'm grateful you bring more awareness to scrupulosity and that that is not a spiritual weakness. It's not, a, it's not solved through more repentance. That actually adds to the compulsion. It's like washing your hands. The compulsion is washing your hands. And that just reinforces the cycle. So not con confessing actually is, is you know, not the therapy to solve this. I love you went from grieving to healing. You used that term. I wrote that down, Lincoln, as you went from grieving to healing. And I asked your background ahead of time to see if you've had psychology classes or um, sort of classes in mental health. And I don't think you have, but you have natural intuition and use vocabulary that's very helpful, but I love you recognized you were grieving. And I think that's a logical phase that people go through as, as experiences don't turn out the way they thought they would. And certainly that's happened over and over for you on your mission. But you went from that to healing. And I think that gives listeners hope. I think you're very self-aware of who you are. And uh, one of the thoughts that comes to me as you became a missionary is you, f you gave yourself permission to be who you are and be the kind of missionary I think Heavenly Father wanted you to be. And I know in our culture, there's kind of a cultural definition of what a missionary is and what we do and the checklists and the goals and the reporting. But I think you just had enough insight, spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, and personal revelation that you just felt this is the kind of missionary I'm going to be. You used some words in there that were very helpful, and I think you did what Heavenly Father wanted you to do. I would guess there's some people that you reached that no other missionary could reach, and that there are lives all over Utah and Peru and Colorado that are better and I know you don't want to elevate yourself over a different missionary, but every missionary brings different gifts. And there's just no question you connected to people that other missionaries couldn't. And they connected to some that you didn't. But I think as we become the body of Christ, you know, every part of the body of Christ is needed. So um, I just think who you are is exactly Heavenly Father wants you to be. And you're and your journey has allowed you to connect with people in a unique, authentic way because of the uniqueness of your story. And I would just think there's people all over those three places I mentioned that are in a better spot because of you. 
Um, I love your honest with just messing up. I love the way you talked about, I knew I messed up. It wasn't an issue about, I didn't mess up or I shouldn't be sent home. I just think that tender moment when we're opening up to a priesthood leader about what we've done wrong, I, I always felt, and I'm not perfect at this, but I always felt everybody needs to leave the bishop's office feeling they were better off than before. Because I looked at everything Christ did in his ministry, the prodigal sons, the pinnacle of the worst case scenario, and that father left the field, ran and kissed and fell upon him, and it stunned the son. I think the son had self-determined his future, that he was going to be a servant, that he was going to be a second-class citizen, that he didn't measure up to yours, yours, your words, Lincoln, but the father representing our heavenly father, the Savior, you know, just fell upon him. That wording in Luke is just the very best scripture for me, listeners. And the son looked at him and says, why are you treating this way? I don't deserve to be treated this way. But then the father, to signal he came back as a son, put a robe on, a, robe on him and a, and a ring on his finger. And it forever answered the question, when we come back, do we come back as servants or, or people that don't measure up or second-class Latter-day Saints because we've messed up? Or do we come back as sons? And the atonement of Jesus Christ tells us we come back as sons. And then as we come back as sons, sometimes we have the ability to help others because we sort of know repentance firsthand. And we know how the atonement works firsthand. We know how to bring other people out of that desert with us because we've walked there. So I recognize that you felt that wasn't the best experience for you. You give grace to that leader. Um, and I just, we just, and things like that just happen. and. I don't want to, and so I thought you'd navigate that as very best way you can. Um, those are just some thoughts. Um, but I, I also love your testimony, Lincoln. I think it's real. I think it's authentic. I don't think it's driven by what the culture says your testimony should be like. And I think it's sustainable as you've got a testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith and you've got a testimony of the Book of Mormon and you want to bring people into Christ. I think I really like your testimony. Um, I wouldn't invite you to, I wouldn't give you a spiritual checklist of ways to get you to maybe a more traditional testimony or a more, I know it's true with every fiber of my being. I just probably point to DNC where we all have different spiritual gifts and that this is who you are. And in fact, more important, it's who you need to be to make your life mission possible. More thoughts that come into your mind. Those are, those are kind words and I really appreciate it. Um, I don't want, I do want to emphasize how, how bitter I was towards that mission president. And that, that was hard. You know, when I say grieving, you know, part of it was grieving coming home early and having my life kind of, the plan kind of flipped upside down. But it was hard to have kind of like a father figure like that and then feel betrayed. I don't want to, I want to emphasize that that was difficult. Uh, and that's a pain that I never felt before, but I, I don't want to compare myself to like, abuse victims or anything like that i remember one time this lady was telling me the story about how she was abused by her grandfather and i don't want to compare my story to hers but i just remember some of the feelings she felt and i remember thinking like i felt that you know like the betrayal by a trusted figure or the not knowing how to handle it do you say something or do you not say something her situation was obviously more serious than mine but i feel like without that experience i couldn't have empathized with her experience and I do feel like I, I do, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, there's a lot of 
things out there that I, I have a hard time believing, but when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it boils down to the simplest tenets, I believe that, you know, having faith in Jesus Christ, just like in Ether 12, it says to, you know, faith is to have hope for a better world. That's what faith means to me, you know, and repentance is doing better every day. And baptism, taking upon something bigger than yourself, putting, you know, not just your last name on the back of your jersey, but your team name on the front of your jersey, you know, that's what baptism means to me. Take something on bigger than yourself and, and, uh, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, following your intuition, following your gut and enduring to the end. To me, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe it to be the most applicable way to live a good life that I've found so far in my short 21 years. And you know, that's how I had to, that's how I had to make it work. That's how I had to teach it too. And I think that's the, you know, the final part of my testimony is that little tidbit about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I appreciate your kind words. Um, I know it's tough to be a priesthood leader. And I've often debated how I communicate with my priesthood leader that my mission president, if I talk to him in person, and, and that'd be tough. I don't really know. But I'm grateful I ended up having five mission presidents. And, you know, some I like more than others, and that's okay. That's you know? okay. Didn't have I didn't have to worship them all. I feel like some people feel like they have to worship their mission president. I feel like I was grateful that I, when when a mission president said something I disagreed with, I felt comfortable that I could text him and say, "Hey, I don't think that's right," and I'm not saying I was right, but we could talk about it. We could come to kind of come to a conclusion. Sometimes, you know, he'd make a Facebook post on the group page and say, "Hey, this wasn't what meant to be said. You know, this was a mistake." And other times, I'd be like, "Okay, that makes sense. Now that I have more understanding, you know." But I feel like because of that bad experience with mission president, I had the courage to stick up to my other mission presidents when something wasn't quite right. And not that I was not the arbitrator of all good and evil, but more times than not, an adjustment was made, you know, and I, I'm proud of that because I feel like a lot of missionaries were helped by that, you know, so. I love that. I love the word adjustment. I love counsel together and I love that hopefully we can look at each other, even if we're in a leadership position and say, what can we learn from people that we have leadership over? Um, Because I think that helps us to be better leaders and better disciples. I love that. I'd love to have you talk, and you've done this already, if there's listeners that have come home from a mission early for a a belated confession or any other reason or just feeling in a tough spot, just talk to that group for a few moments, Lincoln. Well, I, I had two companions that went home early. Um, I remember thinking and saying to them, there's more important things in life than a mission. And I truly believe that, you know, your your personal, mental, and physical health is more important than a mission. And I feel like the things you, your, your current family and your future family are more important than a mission. And uh, the temple, things you, the things you do in the temple, I feel like are more important than a mission. You know, mission is a good thing. I, I'd encourage any youth to go on one, right? But it shouldn't, I don't feel like it should be the end-all be-all. You know, you, you got to take care of yourself. And I think I, and I'll just share one more quick story. In Utah, I had, I was just a new missionary. This is when I was in Utah, and he was his own leader. And he was from, he was from Europe. And he was just a great guy. Like, I looked up to him. And I have kind of a distaste for authority. But he was one of those authority figures. He's his only leader that I like, I respected. I said, I'd go to war with this guy, you know? There's probably only a handful of people I'd say that about. But I was telling him this story one day, and he just kind of told me, he said, I need to repent. I need to fix things. And um, and he did. 
and and he was initially allowed to stay and I'll go back for another story when I was at home in Jackson I had a friend and I heard that he had confessed and I heard that he was coming home and then the next week I was kind of waiting for him to come home and I found out we were best friends in high school we did the same stuff together same things in high school and I I found out that he was allowed to stay on his mission. I was so mad that my friend was allowed to stay on his mission, but I had to go home early. But then I was just so mad. And it was one of the biggest levels of cognitive dissonance in my life. I thought, why? That's not fair. But when I went to Utah and I spent time with this missionary, who was who was allowed, I remember just after he told me he was going to confess some things, I just remember praying that he would be allowed to stay because I knew how hard it was for me. I just remember praying. I just remember, please let elder so-and-so stay in the mission. Please let elder so-and-so stay in the mission. Please, please, please. And I just remember thinking, like, why did I want my friend from high school to come home early? But I want this mission to stay, missionary to stay out. I just remember thinking, like, it doesn't really matter what I want yet. You know, God's going to figure it out, right, if you believe that. And so that was a big change of heart that I had. And, you know, I won't go too much into this missionary story because he has a pretty crazy story himself. But uh, I think, you know, everyone's on different paths. So when it comes to coming home early, there's more important things in the mission. If you feel like it's right to go back out, go back out. If you feel like it's right to stay home, you know, it's okay to stay home. Uh, if you feel like you fulfilled your duty, great. I think there's, there's, you know, general authorities give general counsel, but personal authorities give personal counsel, right? And you're your own personal authority. And obviously counsel with your family, counsel with others, but you make the decision what's best for yourself. And I think God will back you up, so... That's great. Talk about the, we, before we went live on the podcast, you talked about deconstruction, reconstruction, and without using that vocabulary in the podcast, you kind of did that. But just explain that to our listeners, that phrase and, and how you went through that in a way that helped you stay in the church. Well, I remember when I went back to church that summer in Jackson, I remember thinking like, this is, this is my spiritual home, you know? Nothing to do with doctrine, nothing to do with the people. I didn't know any of the people, but I found that this is my spiritual home. And, you know, the church could make it completely 180 on doctrine, on, on whatever. But for me, Church of Jesus Christ, a lot of things is my spiritual home. So I respect people who have different spiritual homes, you know. Um, I don't like to argue points of doctrine with people because I know that in reality, most people are at church because they need to be at church and they need to be in their spiritual home. So I think that was the base. That was the starting point. And I think, you know, it's kind of like an epistemology question. I don't know how to say that word, but kind of like, how do you know what you know? When I start thinking about it, I don't really know anything. You know, I don't really know if there's an afterlife. I don't really know if there's a God. But just like in Ether 12, you know, I choose to believe and I hope for a better world. And, you know, I think another thing is I don't claim to make, I don't make any bold claims of knowledge of truth, you know? I didn't stand on any street corners in downtown Denver and say, you know, Jesus is coming and I know the way to get back to him. I just, when people engage in conversation, I said, this is what I believe. This is how it brings me peace and all are welcome to partake, you know? So I think I was lucky because I had a faith crisis at 19, 20, 21 years old. I, I know it's so much harder for someone who gives 40 or 45 years of their life and then has a faith crisis and has kids and spouses involved. I know that's so much tougher. I don't want to compare my situation to any of those situations. Um, I know that's tougher. And I, well, that was one thing I had a hard time empathizing with. I didn't know what that was like. 
I knew kind of, but I know it's a great question. I don't think I can provide the best answer. I think I'm just kind of rambling at this point. You're doing just fine. But I had to make it personal and I had to, I, I think the reconstruction was just as important as the deconstruction. You know, it's like when you find out Santa, when you find out Santa Claus isn't what you thought he was as a kid, but presents still end up underneath your tree. You got to kind of figure out how that works, you know? And maybe that's not the best analogy, but it's kind of, it, it took time. And I don't think anyone, I don't think everyone, like when it comes to church history issues, um, I feel like I have answers that work for me, but I don't think my answers are going to work for the next guy. I don't think the next guy's answers are going to work for the next guy or for me. I think, you know, you can ask me kind of any church history question and nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to say, Hey, it's ugly. It looks ugly. And, but I'm not going to give a butt. I'm just going to say it is ugly. Here's how I make it work. Here's how other people make it work. Here's the faithful apologetic response that I don't necessarily buy all the time, but sometimes I do. There's 10 different perspectives. And if there was, you know, the reason that why there's 10 good perspectives is because if there's one great perspective, there'd only be one, you know? So I just think everyone has a different way of looking at things. And I just, I found answers that work for me. I don't expect them to work for anyone else. Um, but I'm always, I'm always grateful to share those answers with anyone who asks. There's so much grace in your answers, so much permission for people to feel the way they feel, which I think is really helpful. Um, listeners, I got on Twitter last night, which would be August, July 11th, and I tweeted out a poll. I says, if you are an active Latter-day Saint and in a faith crisis, your hope to, and I gave people two choices, find a way to stay in the church or find a way to leave, and 367 people voted, and 84% said, find a way to stay. And my point is, I think most people in a faith crisis actually are trying to figure out a way forward to stay. And and often they need to do what Lincoln has done is deconstruct and reconstruct and sort of give permission for people to do that, sit with them. And Jared Halverson was in the podcast Institute Teacher at University of Utah and talked about that in a really beautiful way. And not to be afraid of that in ourselves or others. I also did another poll last night, if I can find it. It was just... Um, for those of you that hold a temple recommend, please indicate your testimony to the church. And I gave people four choices. Know it's true, 29%. Believe it's true, 32%. Hope it's true, 22%. Not sure it's true, 17%. So, you know, and my Twitter may be a little less, uh, more nuanced, so I don't want to say that represents the whole church. It's just 614 people. But my point is there's just a range of people's testimonies and I look at DNC gifts of the spirit. Um, I know people in my life that have an I know it's true testimony, and I love that testimony. I have more of an I believe it's true. It's my spiritual home. I fundamentally believe in the restored doctrine, the unique restored doctrine that came through the prophet Joseph Smith that's unique to our faith. That's fundamental to my testimony of the church. But I just think creating Zion is creating a feeling where um People like Lincoln are needed and valued and recognize their contributions to build the kingdom and not try to create a feeling that people like Lincoln and me and others, that we belong, that we don't have to fit into some mold, that we 
fitting in requires us to change, you know, belonging allows us to be who we are and use our gifts to build Zion. And I think you've been blessed with a spiritual maturity to give yourself permission to do that, Lincoln, at a pretty young age. And I think you did that authentically on your mission. And I think it's what drew you to your mission in these places. And in sharing that with you listeners, I just, I think we both invite you to continue to receive personal revelation to be you. I think we're always better when we're authentically ourselves and be able to serve in the way that's, you know, authentically ourselves. And you've done that in a really remarkable way. But you have been stretched and pulled, and the complexity of things outside of your control that came into your life with COVID, with Utah, with Colorado, it's really remarkable just the road you've navigated. Um, I did an Ensign article, listeners, um, in August 2020, and it's called, um, and I don't want to, it's called How the Savior's Healing Atonement Applies to Repenting from Sexual Sin. I don't want to imply that Lincoln came home because of sexual sin, but it's just, I believe repentance is hope-filled. You could look for that in the August 2020. Um, It's digital only in the YSA section, but I believe repentance is hopeful. And it should be one of the, our finest moments, just like our Heavenly Father treated the prodigal as he came back. There was no shame. There was no groveling. There was no cold shoulder. It was one of the finest moments, I think, in Scripture, the way the Savior, our Heavenly Father, treated the prodigal as he came back. Um, certainly when we offend each other, we sometimes make each other grovel and we give each other the cold shoulder and it's hard. But I think our Savior loves to forgive. He's already paid the price. So when we come back, we're not adding to his burden. He's actually paid the price. So we're taking advantage of his gift. And it's one of the greatest things that happens. And I think it makes the Savior happy. And that's why the father ran after the prodigal and hugged him the way he did, even though it just stunned the prodigal. So I'll turn it back to you. And I want to say, you know, I'm saying this to Lincoln, but I'm saying all of you that don't really fit the traditional mold, all the check boxes in the right order. And you may be single and wondering, is there somebody for me in the church? I would think there is, that there's people out there that are looking for somebody that's kind of like them and can kind of get it and be vulnerable and real and honest. And um, and I think, you know, Lincoln's single right now. I don't want to get too much into his personal life, but I think if Lincoln came on the podcast after he's married and his wife came on the podcast with him, she would talk about who he is, the mission he served, the the turns and um, changes and deconstructing and reconstruction and come homing early for repentance issue and say, this is all the reasons I fell in love with Lincoln. And it's made him a better man. It's made him a better husband. He's going to be a better father. He gets all this stuff. I want a spouse in my life that my kids can connect with and be open and vulnerable so he can walk with them. And so I hope that's okay. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I just, I do that partly for you listeners that wondering, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I fit the Mormon mold anymore. I'm, I just don't measure up or I've, you know, I'm, and I just think our savior wouldn't want you to think that way. And I think your future spouse wouldn't want you to think that way. Cause I think you're, I think all your life experiences help you be a better person and then allow you to be a better spouse, parent, and to be able to lift and bring others with you. So I'll turn it back to you, Lincoln, for 
as long as you want to go with your closing remarks. Well, I, again, I appreciate the kind of words and I, I think I'd have to seriously say that's future spouses out there. I'm sure Richard will find a link to show them where I'm at or show them a way that they can get a hold of me. But, <laughs> um, I appreciate all the kind of words and I, I, Sometimes in the church, I feel like a square block being shoved into a circle hole. But all the time on the mission, I felt like a square block being shoved into a circle hole. And um, I don't know. I maybe I'm looking for other square blocks out there. So, and I think actually one more thing is I, I talked about how there's members out there that I connected well that really feel marginalized. But I I would say that 80% of members feel marginalized in some way or another. You might look at them and they say, "Oh, they fit the mold. They fit the mold." Um, but I guarantee the people that we think that the mold feel marginalized in something, whether it's their past behavior, whether it's their current beliefs, or whether it's the way their family is, you know, they all, everyone feels marginalized in something. And uh, we're just looking for the square blocks or triangle blocks that can relate a little bit. So. That's great. How can people reach you if do you want to give an email address out or your Facebook or do you want to f- um, a way for people to reach you or should we just link to that in the podcast? You can link to that in the podcast, link in back me on Facebook, but I, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how much your listeners get people reach out to them and say, like, I know in the podcast that I've listened to that I've really loved, I always try to reach out, to them, try to find the person on Facebook and Instagram and tell them how much I appreciate it. Um, so we'll, but, we'll link to your Facebook in the podcast perfect. and you people can, <laughs> people can message you on Facebook and connect with you. So we'll do that. But Lincoln Bagley, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for your mission. You gave your farewell. We're recording this on a Monday. You gave your farewell yesterday, homecoming, sorry, um, yesterday. And thanks for your service. And I think you got a great life ahead of you. And thank you for just being honest and vulnerable. And there's a lot of people your story has helped today and, and given them hope there's a path forward for them. So on behalf of Lincoln Bagley, B-A-G-L-E-Y, if you're looking for, did I spell that right, Lincoln? Yeah. Perfect. You can find him on Facebook. This is the two of us signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 